Hi, this is Jerry Conway. Tom DeFalco. Ron Friends. Paul Jenkins. Sam DiMatteis. Robert Rodriguez. Jim Salakrep. Danny Fingeroth. Dennis Hopeless. Joshua Hale-Fialga. John Semper Jr. Lynn Ween. David Michelini. And you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I am the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Ginocchio, the editor of the Chase and Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Thanks for joining us, everybody, for our first episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. I guess that's how we're going to do this, Mark. It's all new and all different, Dan. It's an all-new, all-different podcast with the same podcasters talking about the same characters and the same creators, more or less. But it's all new and all different. Yeah. Mark, what are we getting in this episode? Well, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, number one, by Dan Slott, Giuseppe Comancoli. And it's got a bunch of backup stories, including some, uh, stories by Peter David, Will Sliney, Robbie Thompson, Stacey Lee, Dennis Hopeless. Javier Rodriguez, Mike Costa, David Baldion, Christos Gage, and Jerry Mathers as the beaver. <laughs> and then we'll review your comments and emails and then talk about some spider news. It's been a while since we've done some spider news. I know, but we, we got some items. Well, yeah, I guess with all this rebooting and stuff, it's finally time that Marvel can pull back the curtain on all these things. Exactly. You know, even though uh, Secret Wars isn't over yet, but we're rebooting anyway. Yeah, well, you know, it's in the style of the old Secret Wars. <laughs> You're just going to have to keep reading to find out how yeah. Spider-Man got a black suit and lived <laughs> and lived through the end of the world. Mark, I've got my hands on this hugely overstuffed book with a ton of information to unpack. I mean, a ton of information. So like, we should get right to it. Our discussion of the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4. <laughs> I think before we even get into our opinions of this issue, just because this status quo is so dramatically different, why don't, why don't we run down what was laid out in this issue so far? Because, I mean, there's a lot to dissect here. Yeah, I mean, if this issue has one thing, it's a ton of exposition about this status quo. 
I, I just don't want to miss anything because I think it's important to kind of lay it all on the line how different this is. So, I don't know. I put a, together a list of all the changes and all the new status quo things. So, do you want to just run down it? And then, if you, we have anything to say about it, we just go into that? I think that sounds fair. Well, I mean, like obviously, the first and foremost, and we kind of knew this from the get-go, I mean, the, the, the main thrust of the status quo is... Uh, Parker Industries is back. It's rescued from the rubble, I guess, although we don't know how. Uh, and it has gone global. It is a successful company, and Peter is the, the CEO we never knew he could be. Yeah, I guess uh, Aunt May and, uh, and her husband's investment is paying off big time. Big time. But it's, not, it's even bigger than big time in terms of Peter's success. Sure, if, if, sure. You know, you know, if, to, to harken back to another storyline where we kind of played with that idea. And I guess the other big thing about this is that, you know, Peter Parker and Spider-Man are both the faces of the company. We kind of saw them in a little bit of an ad together. And, and Spider-Man is acting as both the mascot and bodyguard for Peter and the company. What, what do you think about that, Mark? Well, I mean, you know, for people who want to instantly make the, the Tony Stark uh, comparisons here, I mean, you know, for the better part of... I don't know, 30, 40 years of Iron Man stories, that was always the status quo for, uh, for Stark, was that you know, he was the head of Stark Industries and the, you know, Iron Man was his bodyguard. So, um, you know, it's been done before, but I guess this is an easy way to explain Peter and Spider-Man being in the same room, although there are some spins on that. Mark this as our first strike or whatever in the Iron Man column. Yes, there will be others. There will be others. So one of the lead products that this company, this Parker Industries, is making is this thing called Webware, which is like a web shooter device that, I mean, it doesn't shoot webs, but it looks a lot like a web shooter, um, that apparently provides internet and unlimited data to the user who wears it, which is cool, but I kind of think this device already exists. Am am I wrong? Yeah, I mean... I don't want to sound like a total noob. I mean, I'm only in my mid thirties, so it's not like I'm like some old fogey here, but like as they're, you know, part of the exposition for these scenes, I was kind of like, wait, what, what are they actually trying to describe here? Like, how is this like, not like an Apple watch or something or, uh, you know what I mean? Like I, it, it just sounded like some elements of consumer technology that we already have. So I was kind of missing the mark on what made this like the explosive product that would, set Parker Industries into the stratosphere. I guess it's like cheap and and affordable. I mean, apparently it, it is. Everyone seems to have one. But it's not a Zune. Yes, it's not a Zune. And it, and it also seems to have kind of like infected this like popular culture immediately in that everyone is shouting out like, take a, a web shot or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's got some wordplay and, and whatnot. I mean, you know, Definitely, let's just suspend disbelief, and you know, we'll 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 play with the idea that this is the greatest product ever. Eight months really has changed a lot. Um, yes, I guess the next thing that is definitely worth mentioning is the Spider Mobile, which I mean has never looked more like the Batmobile. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is a pretty sleek and tricked out Spider Mobile. I mean, this isn't what he was driving around in the seventies. That's for certain. And, you know, I mean, Dan Slott, God bless him, has been trying to get the Spider-Mobile to become a thing since I think he first started on this book in 2008. I mean, you know, like, 
it seems like every art storyline, it's like, oh, and I tried to work in the spider mobile, but someone shouted me down. Uh, so <laughs> here it here it is a key figure of the story. So you did it, Dan Slot. Congratulations. Yeah, and and you know, so like in this issue, they're in Shanghai. I mean, you know, for for business reasons, and and he's he's hanging out with his partner Mockingbird, Bobby Morris from Shield. You know, I I I hate to be this way, but the only the first thing that jumped to my mind when I saw that was, you know, are they just kind of playing up Shield because hey, season three kicked off on uh, you know two weeks ago and. You know, Mockingbird is a key part of that that series, but you know, that would be cynical of me, right? <laughs> it might also be honest of you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not that. I mean, actually, if 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 I could be a nerd for a second, I mean, Mockingbird debuted that persona in a Marvel team up issue in the, I think the early '80s. I mean, Bobby Morse had been around, but she wasn't. Mockingbird. She was like kind of like a like a a spy, and they kind of re redid the character. Um, so you know her her debut as the persona that everybody knows her as was as in a team up with Spider Man. So I mean, it's not totally beyond the pale to bring these two together. I mean, it's kind of a callback to probably a piece of history that people may not instantly know. But this also, um, yeah, there's there's other media that probably brought the two of them together as well. And I thought their banter was really fun, you know, like she's kind of making fun of him. And, and to be honest, I kind of wanted to make fun of him, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, we can talk about that once we roll through the, the status quo stuff. But sure, I mean, sure. what's next? But, on this status yeah, quo? but I was just saying like, yeah, but that, that we put 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 a pin in that for sure, because, yeah, um, well, Spider-Man is like beloved all over the world again. I mean, you know, I. I shouldn't say again. I mean, we really haven't had that as something that's maintained more than like an issue or two. But um, so he's no longer a menace, I guess, which is just interesting, you know, kind of, again, tying in with the Mockingbird stuff. So Peter is like designing tech for S.H.I.E.L.D. and and Nick Fury Jr., who looks like Nick Fury from the movies. It is interesting to me that, I mean, you know, Spider-Man even even in the ultimate universe has always kind of been like a, a lap dog for shield. Sure. So to like actually have him with the upper hand here is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, another thing about this, uh, spider mobile is that Peter is now driving, um, which we've never seen him do successfully before. Uh, and we find out here that not only did he go to uh, driving school, he also learned to speak, well, at least Mandarin, but I imagine many different languages, we're going to be seeing him speak as he travels around the world in this series. Again, eight months, Dan. Eight months. A lot, a lot has changed in eight months. Yeah. Mandarin, one of the most difficult languages in the world. But Peter is smart. Yeah. Anyone can do it. He is smart. What else we got, Mark? Well, we got these uh, all-new web cartridges that can fire things like Z-Metal to zap his enemies. And he also has like expanding web foam. So, you know, we got updates on, on the web shooters. I mean... That's pretty standard. Yeah, that doesn't offend me. Yeah. Uh, not, not that this other stuff is offending me, but I'm just saying, like, that's that's probably of some of the things we've talked about so far, the furthest leap, or the, or the, 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 the smallest leap of faith here. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing this stuff since his debut. I mean, the anti-magnetic device, you know, any of these things, like uh, when he beats 
yeah, any of his villains, he would often change his webbing around. Uh, Electro, he made it like... Yeah, uh, like, a, like a less of a... Yeah, an insulator or something like that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's pretty standard for me. And I thought the, uh, the depiction of it was really great. We have some romance, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Or, or it's just kind of like a fling. I, I, I couldn't really tell with this, this character, Leanne Tang... Um, who also seems to not know that he's Spider-Man because she kind of confronts Spider-Man about Peter. I don't know how I feel about this. I guess we'll talk about it in a little bit, but okay. So he's got, he's got this fling going on. Who else is in his life here, Mark? Well, you know, we're, we're definitely going back to the past with some of these names here. We got uh, Yao Wu and Philip Chang, who is from, uh, well, that was from his uh, grad school days, I believe. Uh, so, like, the White Dragon arc from the, the 70s. Uh, and uh, Yeah, that's think, Amazing like, Spider-Man 184 and 185. Yeah, but I think those... So, uh, Philip Chang was also in some spectacular issues um, when they were, like, hanging out in, gra- in grad school. Maybe he was one of the people that Swarm almost killed. <laughs> With this giant beehive and giant bees. A Nazi made of bees. Yes, yes. He's the Nazi skeleton made of bees. We always have to fully preface him. Yes. <laughs> and he has uh, a personal assistant now, too, this woman, Min Wei. Well, you know, I guess we couldn't use Anna Maria, right? Because she's, she's more than an assistant. Yeah, I guess so. So, yeah, we got, we got more characters. I mean, we'll see if these are character characters or just, you know more bodies in a story but um <laughs> disposable bodies yeah there you go uh and then we have the uncle ben foundation speaking of disposable bodies there we go uncle ben <laughs> when when in doubt invoke invoke the saint of uh saint of forest hills yeah and uncle ben foundation seems to be that peter is giving back to the community um you get this image of uncle ben that seems to be from that final uh ultimate spider-man 160 variant cover where where uncle ben is like walking hand in hand with peter into death right did did it remind you of that yes it definitely it definitely was like yeah i mean who is this child that he's hugging so so weirdly cartoonish child Yes. Um, but yeah, so it's like this, I guess, giving back where he's like giving his webware device and stuff to like kids that can't afford it. Um, so that's kind of nice, I guess. Yeah, and he's and he makes a point multiple times in this issue talking about how little he's getting paid and, you know, this is how he's giving back and et cetera, et cetera. So did you find it odd that the foundation was named the Uncle Ben Foundation instead of like the Ben Parker Foundation? Um, I don't know if I found it odd. I mean, I know that he's not everybody's Uncle Ben, so that's not technically true. But it's kind of plain with the convention. It's 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 very meta in that, you know, to people who follow the world of comics, everyone knows who Uncle Ben is. So it's kind of like, you know, everyone has their Uncle Ben moment, so to speak, you know, like, so I, I, I guess this is kind of like a cheeky way of playing with that, you know, like he's, he's still the Uncle Ben to the world, even though he's in, you know, if this was actual real world, it wouldn't make sense. All right. Yeah. You're, you're selling me on this. You're selling me on this. Did I win my no prize? Yes, you did. So I guess you mentioned the wages and, um, you know, 
there's this comparison being set up where Spider-Man or Peter is now the poor man's Tony Stark, and it's kind of explicitly mentioned in the book. We'll talk about this a bit more. Um, what other interesting things are going on here? Uh, well, Dan, we we got, and this was this this was kind of a surprise blast from the past from me. Hobie Brown, the Woo! Prowler, is is uh, swinging around town as uh, a low rent Spider-Man. Definitely n- not similar to Rhodey Rhodes as War Machine and Iron Man, right? No, totally not. Not, not in the least. So you know, that's chunk- the next check in that column. I'm gonna <laughs> say, you, 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 yeah, if you're keeping score, just check that there. Rhodey Rhodes, Toby Brown. Um, and this is not uh, unusual for the Prowler, considering he's dressed up as Spider-Man before. Yes, during the, the Ramita Lee years. Um, sure. and, and, and have there been other issues, too? Has Slot done, played with this uh, convention no, in not, the past? No, not that I know of. I think this is the first of Hobie Brown we've seen during Slot's run. Yeah. Now, this, now, Hobie Brown is completely different in the Ultimate Universe, right? Yeah, completely different. He's what? He's Miles' uncle? Am I remembering this right? Or no? Well, Hobie Brown doesn't exist, but the Prowler does, and that's Mi- that's Miles' uncle. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Here's another character, not so much from the distant past, but from Dan Slott's past. Max Modell is back. And Apparently, he and they patched things up. Yeah, and and Max is getting married to Hector. I totally forgot that Max was gay, um, but they didn't really put a lot of emphasis on it it was just kind of he just was gay which i I quite like instead of these big like dramatic covers of people getting married which is fine you know it's not an event or a huge reveal or something it's just that's what the character is and that's fine yeah and here they're getting married and good for them and i guess that is kind of uh modern considering that they are now legally can get married yes this Um, is true so i guess but i guess you needed to bring max back and again we'll talk about this in a little more detail but i mean you know it does help provide explanations for things in terms of how peter is kind of creating all this great technology right i mean i think you kind of need someone with max's uh knowledge base to be in the background here right yeah sure i mean and max is running the west coast branch of parker industries um which peter uh you know for a wedding gift renames it Horizon University. So I suspect maybe the West Coast branch is like a uh, an institution of education of some sort. Right. As, as well as a kind of place to create tech. Yeah, I mean, if we really want to get crazy about it, we could talk about how, like, you know, the Avengers became, like, the West Coast Avengers that, you know, Iron Man oversaw back in the day. But, you know, maybe that might be reaching. <laughs> Check three. <laughs> or two and a half. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> And the yeah. last big thing here, Mark? Uh, yes, yeah, Sajani. And I always say that name wrong, so I'm sure I'm going to get an email about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she is, she's, she's still around, and we'll, we'll talk about that enough. as well. Because that, that, this is definitely, of all the things, probably the, something that bothered me the most. But we'll talk about that. And she's running Parker Industries European Branch. Because apparently... We still need someone around to try and destroy Parker Industries. <laughs> Check that box. Yeah. Are you willing I, I, to destroy Parker Industries? Great, you're hired. Yeah, I mean, you know, can you can you cause drama and conflict in this book when you know when normal superhero drama and conflict won't work? Okay, you're in. <laughs> um, 
So that was a huge list. And I have to say, Mark, I think this might be one of the biggest shakeups, not just of Spider-Man, but of like a major character from the big two, Marvel and DC, that I've ever read. In like, This isn't like a gender swap or like a mind wipe. It's like straight up dramatically changing the character. Do you, yeah, think, or even, do you think you've or ever even seen a replacement it? or something? It's not like, you know, Azrael is Batman or, you know, Sam Wilson is Cap or anything like that. I mean, this is this is the same character. And but at the same token and we will talk about this, there are definitely some inherently Peter things going on here, but but in terms of like the biography and the stats, so to speak, the back of the baseball card, if you want to go there, this is this is like looking at two different series. I, I, I mean, Dan, before before we got on the air here, so to speak, I, I I think I said to you, this is like to me, this almost feels like a what if story. If what if stories actually were considered part of true continuity, yeah. Because this all counts. This is the, you know there is no reset button on. It. Well, I mean they'll reboot it in a year, but this counts. You know what I mean? Like this is this is six one six or whatever this universe is now. We'll get that resolved maybe at the end of November, December. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you this. This comes to like a topic I wanted to discuss on the show outside of our review. Is that can a radically changed Spider Man still be Spider Man? I uh that I mean it's a great question. Um I think as long as there are some traits that are still true to Peter and Spider-Man. I mean, you know, like at the core of this book is still that old mantra with great power comes great responsibility. You know what I mean? Like this is this is this is very much what that is. He's 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 used these these new, I don't know if you want to call them gifts, but success to, you know, I mean, the, the, the phrase he uses, I'm not, I'm not just trying, I'm not here to save the world. I'm here to make a world that's worth saving. And I think that's kind of an analog to me of power and responsibility. Wouldn't you say? Sure. And, and I guess the big question here is like, when we talk about this is we have to kind of define like what we think a Spider-Man comic is if we think it should be anything, because there's really nothing saying that these characters can't be radically changed, you know, but like for an order for us to feel satisfied, does it need to fall back on the great power, great responsibility mantra? Like, does that need to be at its core? Can there be books that look the other way of that? You know, um, can there be books, you know, like we're totally okay with there being books where Peter isn't the main focus, right? We've had, Dr. Octopus be uh, the character here, you know, as the starring character. And to me, that reading this book, it really made me think, what is it that makes a Spider-Man comic if you can change all of these things? And I think maybe you're hitting on it. It is that, that core moral uh, um, theme that runs through all of it. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, there are other people... You know, we've talked about this in past episodes. I mean, the infamous Marvel retreat where, you know, what's the core characteristic of Spider-Man and, and you know, some at Marvel said youth. And that's obviously not what this is at all. I mean, this is this is as anti-youth as you can get. This is this is very like middle aged Spider-Man to me. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't understand how this change doesn't age the character in the way that like marriage doesn't. 
you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's and and look, I mean, I'm I without getting Yeah, I don't want to get into it, debate, but I mean, you know, we just had a mini series that also kind of debunked that whole thing. Um not that I thought that Renew Your Vows was the greatest thing ever, but it, you know, there was effective story with an effectively told story with Peter, Mary Jane, and a child. So, like, let's, you know, let's just call what it was. We wanted to change things up, and that was that. You know, the marriage was the sacrificial lamb. But just like, I mean, I think here it's like this is this is very similar to um, One More Day and and in, in Brand New Day, and then I think it's like. You know, they want to do and superior Spider-Man in that regard too. Like, let's do something new to do with the character. Um, We need to change things up, go in a different direction. But you know, how do we do it in a way that doesn't completely betray who Spider-Man is? What What are the characteristics we keep coming back to? And it's not youth. It's not. I mean, I know you would say this, and I tend to agree with you, but it's not reflected here that every manness of of Spider of Peter. And I do, I, I do, that does depress me that that's not as core as it used to be. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It's one of the things I like the character, about the character the most. And um, there's some of it here, you know, like the J.C. Penney's uh, comment. But it's going to be hard. To, like, I, I have a, I want to talk about this. There's this idea of, um, like, the rubber band for these character types, like Spider-Man, like there's always a center point of what we identify as Spider-Man, which is like Peter Parker, the photographer who has a alter ego as Spider-Man and is juggling women and blah, 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 blah. And that can be pushed in many different ways, right? Imagine a rubber band around that character that can be stretched and stretched and stretched, you know, and eventually, the rubber band will pull back, and you'll return to that character that we know and love and recognize. My my concern, and I don't think that this story breaks that rubber band or overstresses it, but I wonder how difficult it's going to be to return Peter to that everyman character that we love without making him appear to be a total loser because he's so on top of the game here he would have to fall so far to get back to that every man um it just seems and maybe that's this is the new direction for him he's going to be a global character from now on i i tend to not think that that's i don't think that's the case because i think that even and, and i don't disagree with you about how do you how do you bring him back down to earth in a way that doesn't completely destroy the character in a bad way, but um, I, I don't know. I'm reading this comic, Dan, and I'm I'm already getting the senses of okay. Here's here's some here's some bait for how the the shoe might drop eventually. Yeah, you know, like it's 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 just there's things, you know, and we could talk about them now, or we could table it and talk in a few minutes. But I mean, like there are things here that suggest that. Either by the end, you know, by the next reboot or whatever. I mean, I, I, let, I mean, I think we've talked about this. We 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 got to almost think of these books now as television series, and at the end of every uh, season, we reboot and start again. So you know, fig, figure next fall we'll be rebooting something again. I think that I don't see this being the status quo in a year. Yeah. What one of the things I want to talk about 
is, you know, if this isn't going to be the status quo in the year is, how many of these kind of changing of the characters can you do without it kind of creating this, like, whiplash? Like, I have to admit, I love when characters change. It's why I read Image Comics and, like, a book like Invincible is that, like, these characters are allowed to grow in a way that I feel like Spider-Man hasn't been allowed to grow. You know, the kid being undone, the marriage being undone. These are all, like, a company trying to maintain, you know, this character in a certain... Yeah, this ageless character. Right. right. And there's something to like about that, too. I mean, beyond enjoying Spider-Man comics, Mark, I don't know about you, but, like, and even more doing the show and talking to the creators, I've become more interested in, like... Uh, the like how a company manages this character, then like, because I, I, at some point you have to kind of become cynical, you know, like being like, yeah, they're never going to really allow him to grow, but it's almost more interesting in how they like as a company operate surrounding yeah. Spider-Man. And the fact of the matter is, Dan, it's become more complex over the last five or six years because you know you have now other corporate interests that are involved it's not just marvel comics anymore you know i mean it's 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 disney it's abc it's it's marvel studios it's sony it's you know what i mean like it's 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 you know there's so many so many mouths to feed so to speak in terms of managing this character that and you and you and they have to be mindful and it, it does become very precarious which is, so. I think, why this change is so interesting, because it's so not Spider-Man. I mean, imagine you know, you're trying to sell a Spider-Man toy or whatever, and someone goes to pick up their first Spider-Man comic, this issue that says number one on the cover, and they open it up like they're not going to recognize anything in this comic. Um, I mean, not to say that this is not a great jumping on point, I don't think, for people, because it's so mired in continuity. Right. Um, but well, yeah, kind of remind. I mean, it, not not totally s- similar, but it does kind of remind me how like I always found it interesting that this the f- October after the first Avengers movie came out was when Hickman started writing that book, and I, I just always thought to myself when reading Hickman's crazy stuff with the Illuminati and incursions and stuff like that and, and the Cabal, I'm like, what is like some kid who like you know saw Thor and Hulk beat up Loki in a Joss Whedon movie thinking about this book. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it really didn't do the franchise any favors because it was not, that was so, such a radically different take on the Avengers. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't that kind of high flying jovial superhero book. And, and I mean, this at least has, this has the joy and the bounce of Spider-Man, but yeah, I mean, it's this is, you know, if you just saw a Spider-Man movie or a Spider-Man cartoon and picked this book up, you're going to be like, what? Do you feel like this change to the character, can you accept it as an authentic, like, earned change? <sighs> That's my sigh of indecision. Because I want these characters to change. And I read this and I think, what a bold move. I really want to embrace this as like a really unique story. I mean, say what you will, Spider-Man will go back to you know whoever it is that we love, or you know, there will be new writers on the book. But I'm kind of like ready to embrace this unique 
weird period of Spider-Man's life. I mean, say what you will, no one's written a Spider-Man story like this, and that should be, I, in my opinion, embraced as a positive. Um, yeah, but well, it's, it's, I'm having trouble accepting it, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, and not to be glib about this, but what what is even earned in comics anymore? Especially Big Two. You know what I mean? Like, like what what is true? You know, in terms of change, what is truly earned? I mean, actually, somebody on Twitter had tweeted at me um, a, a panel. It was the scene where um, Peter and Mockingbird are talking about the whole "no one dies" thing, and he's like, "Well, it's not about no one dies, but it's me." What? How does he word it? It's I I, I have to save people um, any way I can, or something like that. Yeah, I'm just going to do the best I can with what I'm able to do, or something like that. And someone was like. That moment wasn't earned, and I was like, "Yeah, that that might be true, but like, there's a lot in this comic where, on its on face value, it isn't earned. But it's like it, it, it you almost like with a book like this, you just kind of have to go into it without those predispositions. You know what I mean? It's like you just you 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 either." And I, I, you know, and I, I would say Superior was like this too, Dan. I mean, it's like you either accept it and see where it goes, and see if within the new set of rules a good story can be told and that that feels true enough to the character, or you just say, "No, I'm not having it." You know, like I, I, I think it just comes down to that. It's, it's, and and you know, I've been reading comics for almost thirty years, Dan. I mean, like, I, I'm not. I'm not a. I, I, I'm not going to get caught up in any of that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't. Cl- I don't have ownership of these characters. You know, like. And if that makes me a bad fan, so be it. But it's like I'm not going to sit there and say, the character has to be this. It has to be that. You know, physically, emotionally, whatever. There, there are certainly core enough things that I'd like to see maintained. But if you're going to do something different, then do it well. If you do it well, I'll like it and read it and commend you for it. And but if you if you botch it, I'll, I'll I'll call you out on that just as I do when it's within the true confines. I mean, you know, we we got a regular old friendly neighborhood Peter Parker in Volume Three, and the fact is, we thought most of those issues were subpar. Yeah, are are worse than subpar. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. So I mean, looking back on that stuff now, anything positive I had to say, I've kind of like I've totally forgotten about those comics. I mean. None of it stands out in my mind. I, I like my takeaway from that that run of eighteen issues was uh, interdimensional stuff and Black Cat like had a thing and Silk was introduced. Silk, Silk and Spider Verse. I mean that and Black Cat. Those are the big takeaways of that. Of and eighteen issues. Yeah. Everything else was either highly forgettable or. Very highly forgettable, <laughs> <laughs> and and even and even within this story, it renders it forgettable. Parker Industries was destroyed during that arc, and right. here there's no reference to that ever having happened. Um, and I doubt we're going to see Black Cat. I mean, is Black Cat going to be a big player against Parker Industries? No, it sounds like Black Cat's going to have her hands full with Silk. Yeah, which is fine. I think that works just fine. Yeah. Anyway, 
Uh, there's been a good discussion. Um, I, I, I mean, am I am I being too negative here? I, I hope not. I mean, no, 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 no. I, I, not at all. I, I, I think this is a good. It's a good thing to keep in the back of our minds, and I think as this series goes on, it might be something that we quickly refer back to: is do we think that this is telling a Spider-Man story still? Um, I mean, we've got some things on the horizon with Doc Ock and and the Green Goblins and stuff that I think will probably land it back into. Spider-Man familiar territory right? with a few more gadgets. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as Spider-Man stories go, this is one of the most out there that I've ever read. You want to talk about this actual issue? <laughs> we haven't yet. Well, we have, uh, but let's get into some of the things that happened and what we thought worked and didn't. Okay. I think that's good. Um, I, I guess I should just say, you know, and this will be reflected in the grade in the, my final grade. I, I I liked this issue. I didn't think this was bad. No, me too. Uh, I I quite liked it. It's just I'm coming to grips with like what it is. Yeah. Um. You know, it's I I enjoyed it more than I thought. I I, I think that throughout his career on the book and its associated spinoffs, Dan Slott has shown a knack for writing very good opening salvos to his his arcs. Um, he, he, you know, he sets up the right amount, uh, brings in good elements. I mean, the opening scene here to me is like with the chase scene in Shanghai. I mean, this was great. This was great. It was a great way to weave in all of the new information of this arc in a way that was also fun and comic booky, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about the art later, but I think, a lot of that goes to Giuseppe Comincoli. I mean, his layouts. This, this is an artist. You want to talk about an artist growing? Yeah. Like I couldn't fathom Comincoli creating a sequence like this when we first saw him on the book. I mean, we used to talk about his vertical slices. I haven't seen vertical slices in years from him now. Like right. he's completely reinvented himself as a as an artist. I think. Yeah, I mean, and and you know. As much as I enjoy Umberto Ramos, I mean, like, I, I, I feel like, and not to jump to the Kamakoli discussion, but I mean, I feel like having Kamakoli do this issue really helped push the newness of this because it's like, I, 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 I just so mentally associate Ramos with all of the big Spider-Man stuff now. Or had been, you know what I mean? Like, like when there were big moments in Spider-Man history, a reboot, a critical issue, a critical arc, it was a Ramos arc, you know what I mean? Like, he did that art. And I think Common Coley's kind of diff- very different style really, I don't know. It, 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 I, I love Ramos, but this just made it feel more exciting to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it is, but I think maybe Common Coley was born to draw the Spider-Mobile Yes, like, I, and I, I think we've actually talked about this before that I think Common Coley would make a great Batman artist. Yes, um, definitely. And I think that that really shows here. But there's so many wonderful things like that allow this scene to come to life, at least in my mind, while I was reading it. Like the car flipping up from under, like on its back, and then using its spider legs to crawl over. Like I could just see that happening. Um, thanks to his artwork, and uh, I just thought it was so wonderfully paced visually. Um, all the lines and the smoke—I mean, wow! Just yeah. some great stuff. Now he was born to do this book. I'm telling you, <laughs> I mean, or at least this the status quo. 
and, and you're right about Batman, although it's, I mean, it's getting more and more to the point where, you know, I hope other people aren't listening because I would hate to lose Kamakoli on this book. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, uh, and Capullo has got his hands full on Batman. Oh, I know. But, you know, the, the, there, there will come a time where the Snyder-Capullo era will come to an end, which will be sad, but will happen. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I would hate to see Kamakoli get poached. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it looks like, of, I mean, there are other hints of villains in this book that we'll get to, but um, for the most part, the main antagonist is this the Zodiac, which is um, this kind of criminal cartel from from the old a, 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 a Nick Fury agent of Shield days. Like, so this is like Steranko era comic book stuff. Um, any impressions of of the Zodiac? Well, I have uh, to tell I have to tell you, Mark. I think I texted you saying like I have no idea who the Zodiac are. Yeah, um, this is this is. Um, I mean, you know, if you're in for a trip and you got Marvel Unlimited, go to those old Agents of Shield issues from the '70s that were uh, written and illustrated by Jim Steranko. Um, and there's, you know, the f- opening arc on that series is uh, Scorpio and and the Zodiac. They're like the main antagonists beyond Hydra for Fury and Shield. I did uh, like how they were portrayed, though. Um, I loved the, like, poison-filled tooth thing and the giant stingray ships. Uh, I, that, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, do yeah, I think I mean, that they're, like, a worthwhile villain to Spider-Man? Not really. They're kind of throwaway. Well, I mean, they're kind of they're kind of like Bond villains, you know what I mean? And yeah, that, sure. But, but, that's, but that's what this book kind of feels like right now, right? I yeah, mean, it was a good pairing. Yeah, I mean, like that's it, it works because of this. Is it work? I mean, you know, if this was Amazing Spider-Man issue two sixty two, would would I want to see the Zodiac? No, but you know, given what the status quo is, it works. Although I will admit, I felt that Slot got a little overzealous with some of the banter from Peter in this. Like I, I and, and I know you're going to disagree with me. I, I was not a fan of the. The Craven's nipple call line, I just thought that was a little over over the top for me. It just felt a little too, uh, like, come on. Yeah, it, it might be, but I have to admit that I, like, laughed a good hard laugh when I read that. Right. I just, I just you know, and and we talk about what, what makes it a Spider-Man story or something. That's just a line I don't hear Spider-Man saying in my head. I think, I think you might be right, but it's hard for me to discount how hard I laughed reading that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? If that's the point, then that's the point. But yeah, then, I mean, but, look, but, it, it worked in, to a certain degree for me, I have to admit. Um, Especially know. partnered with that full-page splash. Like I was like, really? This is the line you're you're putting with a full page splash? I thought that right. was just a funny pairing. Right. Um, you know, I guess we'll need to see more of that then, you know. What stood but, out uh, to me as like distracting was all the people watching this event. Like their yeah. city is getting destroyed and they're like potentially dying in car accidents, but they're too busy like parker scoping and like which is a, a word I never thought I would ever say. <laughs> and uh you know, I think Dan Slot. I think this is true of a lot of writers, especially in movies where you kind of have like these faceless crowds that shout dumb things. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. even Spider-Man Two, the movie I love so much, has like the like corny go Spidey go stuff, which we see repeated here. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. 
I don't know. That stuff never works for me just because, like, I feel like most people in situations like that would be just outright terrified of dying and getting caught up in this melee. But you know what, though? But that's the, 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 I disagree with that now. Like, 10 years ago, maybe, but I feel like smartphones and social media have changed that. I mean, like, did you see this video about the mac and cheese kid at UConn? No, I didn't. What is this? Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I guess this was an East Coast thing. So there was this – someone posted this YouTube video. This this 19-year-old student at UConn goes into, like, the student union, and he's drunk. He's carrying an open container. Um and the the manager of the the of the cafeteria was refusing to serve him because he was you know nineteen and drunk and acting belligerent, and the kid starts like berating the manager over he's like, "I just want some mac and cheese I just want and he's like pushing the manager and and like you and this move this video goes on for like nine minutes before finally like security comes and takes this kid down, but it's like all these students are just standing around with their phones out, videotaping this kid and snickering. And and you're just kind of like, this is this is what society is right now. It's like let's just stare and you know hope that this kid who's you know under the influence and like getting increasingly belligerent with this this school worker isn't going to do something crazy. And I- if he does something crazy, I have it on video. It sounds like that New York Post cover with the guy who fell on the subway tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I saw, yeah, I guess you're right. If uh, people are willing to put themselves in dangerous path in order to, I think they just want to have the video of it, or they want to tweet about it. I think this is it's it's you know, and it might might be a generational thing too. I wouldn't do that. And and you're you're close enough to my generation that you won't you wouldn't do it. No, no. If I mean like okay, if I saw Spider Man, I would be happy in that knowing he wasn't real. But I feel like if I lived in the Marvel universe where this stuff happens all the time and destroys my property, you know, I don't know how. Like I would be. I would think it's cool that a car could drive on the highway, like, overpass above me upside down. But I think my overriding feeling would be, I hope that thing doesn't fall on me and crush me. Yes. <laughs> I agree with that. But, okay, it's, it's kind of in the style of the book, the kind of over-the-top fun. I get it. It, it. it fits. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. But, um, so... We also get to see um, some assertive Peter here with Nick Fury, which I thought was really good. Yeah, yeah, kind of standing up for himself. Um, I thought this is one <laughs> of the best parts of this issue is that, like, you know, we complained about this all last volume. Peter was kind of like playing second fiddle to all these other people. Here it's very clear. It's almost metatextual. Peter being like, I'm the one in charge of this. And there's the scene with... Um, um, with Mockingbird, where she's like, no, actually, I'm taking care of this, when she knocks out all of the villains. And I almost thought that that was Dan Slott saying to his critics, like, yeah, no, this is Spider-Man in the driver's seat. You know, he is taking control of this. But these people can also be helpful. But, yeah, you're right. Peter got his mojo back, and it's nice to read this guy. Yeah, it's like, where's this character been? Um, and, and, and uh, you know, and, and to me, like, this is probably like my overarching criticism of this whole issue is that 
you know, for as much exposition as there was, like what this book is sorely lacking is any kind of context as to how things got to this point. And yeah. maybe there's time for that, but I feel like there's so much information introduced in this issue. I don't know how much time you're really going to spend on going back through that, but it's like, you know, not only how did Parker Industries go from rubble to being successful, but like, you know, where, seriously, what, what, what must have happened to make Peter stand up to S.H.I.E.L.D. and to kind of like argue the merits of his mantras to Mockingbird, who's making fun of him. And he's even kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of goofy. But he's still being assertive about it. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, no, this is what I'm, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. You know, like, make fun of it all you want. This is, this is, this is what I want to do. And it's kind of like, yeah, damn, where's this guy been? And, and what got him to this point? And I don't think we're going to get that question answered. I don't know. I, su- I suspect if you ask Dan Slott how, how it got to this point, he would say Spider-Verse, where Peter um, proved himself to be a leader. Whether or not we believe that he did, like the narrative there ends on the note that Peter's saying, oh, I am a leader, and I can do this with Parker Industries. Um, and I suspect the only reason he didn't, in the context of the story that Dan Slott is telling, is that Sajani and the ghost tried to sabotage him. And maybe he has an, the be- world's best insurance policy. <laughs> um, but I, I suspect that like, if we don't get an answer, like that is kind of how the writers would justify this. Yeah, that's totally fair. So let's talk about the girlfriend stuff. Yeah, this happens right after he kind of gets made fun of by Mockingbird. And this is, we have to say, like, this, I mean, you people that are listening probably read the comic, but this is Peter in his Spider-Man costume. So we get this girlfriend character, Leanne Tang, who, uh, she's not introduced as the girlfriend. She seems to be involved in this kind of tech and Spider-Mobile-ish stuff, um, like, I th- I got the immediate vibe that she was kind of like a Lucius Fox character. Yeah, but there's also kind of a and and I don't mean this in a in a in a derogatory way, but almost like a Bond girl element to her. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like well, she takes the helmet off and throws her hair around. Yeah, it's like this is this is the woman of the moment. You know what I mean? I mean, like you know, like it could be someone totally different next issue. In my opinion, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, and, and the cover can kind of play into that too, right? The cover of this issue has him with like Peter Multiple. with his arms around two women. Yeah, because there was also like some weird stuff with him and Sinjani in this issue. Yeah, although I don't think it was trying to play that way. Yeah, but it could have. It could have. So it kind of implies that maybe this is the new way that Peter handles women. Yeah. Um, which, okay, fine. You know, he's in his 20s, like... He wouldn't be the first bachelor in his 20s to loosely handle women. Um, <laughs> but it was just a very – but with the Leon Tank stuff, it was I, – I felt it was a very awkwardly composed scene. I don't know what it was truly trying to accomplish because if it was kind of trying to demonstrate like, hey, look, he's, he's free and loose and you – know, well, The whole no, multitasking thing. Yeah, I, 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 it didn't work for me. I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to take away from it. Except that, like, okay, here's another dumb character that can't make the connection between Peter and Spider-Man. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know. And that's not, yeah. I mean, anyway. So we got Hobie ba- Brown back in the book. We talked about this a little bit. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I do like it. 
I, I, you know, like Kobe, I've always liked Kobe as a character. So like him kind of coming, I mean, you know, and I like that they at least acknowledge, like there was that one scene when the Zodiac's attacking, it's like, oh, well, he can't, he can't handle himself to that extent. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they all of a sudden made Hobie a superhero, but I, I, I do kind of like this because it's kind of been like, you know, playing into the whole idea of like, how can these characters be so stupid? I mean, this is even going back to like the Ramita Lee years. It's like, you know, like MJ and Gwen, you know, there would be a, you know, a, a ruckus somewhere and then Peter would run away and then all of a sudden Spider-Man would show up and no one ever made the freaking connection. You know what I mean? So like this at least kind of makes it finally make a little more sense. Don't you think it's pro it's a proactive Peter. Uh, and right. I, 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 I like that. I mean, we've seen this done before, like even daredevil, you know, when he was pushed overseas during the Bendis run, you know, had like iron fist, uh, yes. you know, uh, or Danny was it Danny Rand who was Danny doing? Rand? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. filled in, uh, filled in for him, and uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's the point of having like a, a full mask is no one can tell who's under that mask. You know, you might as well have like five different Spider Men all over the planet. You know, right? Um, you know, as long and as maybe, you're smart and, about it. And who knows? Maybe we'll see more. Yeah, I would like that. I mean, I like this thing. I liked. Uh, you know, the scene with Peter at the wedding kind of fighting alongside Hobie as if he was instructing him. Uh, right, I thought it right. was a wonderful moment. So I'm all about, I'm all about this. Um, and Hobie, I thought had the best line in the entire comic, which is, uh, uh, order the chicken always and get the fish. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And, play, and I liked that Hobie is being paid more than Peter is. Because he's kind of putting his life on the line just to keep this thing going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know. But, like, I, 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 I really have a lot of respect for kind of dusting the mothballs off this character. Like, I, I do hope that he is a true part of the supporting cast here because I want to see where they go with this. Speaking of supporting cast, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I was suspecting that we would see an appearance from Clayton Cole. Um, yeah. And I imagine or, we probably or, will. Or Aunt May or Jonah. I mean, That's true. I mean, those are three big ones that, well, two big ones and one, you would think, big one that we didn't see here. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, one of the things I think, the next thing, big topic for us to discuss, maybe not, we'll, make, we'll keep it short, is yeah. Peter does this speech to you know, all these people and he launches the Uncle Ben Foundation that we talked about. But he directly addresses that he's like the poor man's Tony Stark. And it, yeah. to me, it seems like it was Dan Slott's way of addressing the concerns about the book. I mean, yes. who knows how long he's been writing this issue? Um, you know, but we know that he works the Marvel way, which means he gets to plot it, and then the art gets done, and then he gets to do the dialogue, which right. to me would give him ample time to cha- to like reflect people's early impressions of his status quo change. What did you think about this? Do you think it undercuts the story, or... No, I think this was I actually thought this was pretty brilliant. I put in our on the review on our site that um you know, I kind of quoted a Don Draper line from Mad Men, which is like if you don't like what people are saying about you then change the conversation. And I think that's what we have here. It's it's it's, you know, like from the day that this status quo was announced, people were making the Iron Man comparisons and I feel like this was just a very aggressive assertive way to just kind of like, look, yeah, we know that there are similarities here, 
but this is still and 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 I would agree with this. This is still Peter Parker. This is not Tony Stark. Like, are there are there similarities? Are there elements? Yeah, but this is not. He's not Iron Man. He really isn't. I I I, I can't stress that enough. I mean, we can make the jokes and the and and the and, and the check marks and stuff like that, but like, I mean, I think in part because we talked about this earlier, I feel that the shoe is going to drop at some point here. This does not feel like Tony Stark to me. And, and, and I like that they put this in there to just kind of, you know, say you're really not, if you, if you're going to keep thinking that, then you're just, you know, then, then stop reading now. You know what I mean? Because you're not going to get what we're doing here. Yeah. I completely agree with you about it. Um, that was my initial thought. When I read it, I thought this is really smart. I'm glad it was addressed because people would have kept bringing it up. And you're right. Change the conversation. You know, at least acknowledge that you know that like, – like Dan Slott acknowledges that, yes, I understand that this is very close to Tony Stark. And perhaps that's the point. And I'm, and I'm bringing it up so that we don't have to keep going through this again. Because there's so much other stuff going on here that if you're going to sit there and, and, and focus and harp on that, you're going to miss stuff. This issue is so dense. You yeah. know, like why? That's why like, we're talking about it for so long. Yeah, but but seriously, it's so dense. Like, what are you doing? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things uh, that I really wanted to talk about this issue that I actually had a problem with is how there's all these kind of like former plot lines that get wrapped up in this story in ways that I thought were really kind of clunky, and the two big ones being um, Max Modell and and Peter's relationship to Horizon and right. Sajan. Inclusion in the cast. Uh, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Uh, sure. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I like that Max is part of the book again because I always liked the character and I liked I liked Horizon kind of being in the background um, of these stories. But um, but yeah, I mean this this was not a satisfactory payoff to that plot line. I mean, it was just kind of like, oh, we're, we're we're better now. It's like another one of those really disappointing. Like lack of acknowledgement of the superior era, you know, you had this powerful moment of Horizon getting destroyed, A, um, and B, going on a boat out into the middle of the ocean, you know, uh, to just do their own thing. Right. And now they're just working for Parker and bygones are bygones. It's just, it's, it's a lot to to uh, accept, um, and yeah. it's disappointing because there could have been a rich story to tell about Absolutely. them getting back together. Um, that could have been a whole arc. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, we we're going to get some of these. St- chances are, we'll get some stories that take place in a flashback mini series that they create about this. I mean, God knows they'll right. take any gap of time. If there's money to be made. Yes, they they will go after it. And then this Sajani thing I find so frustrating. Yeah, well, this is a case, I mean, to me, this is a double whammy because, I mean, unlike Max, I was kind of fed up with the character at the end of the last volume of ASM. So, like, it's kind of like, why is this character still around? And, like, and to me, this is, you know, um, to the negative end, this is this is one of those things where I'm just like, are we, are we, are we, why, why is Peter keeping her around? Like he, he calls her out on, on what, how he's tried to sabotage the company and yet she's still around. 
And it's like, if this is truly a changed Peter and a successful Peter, why would she still be around? And the fact that he does it in one panel and then like wraps it up by saying like, I'm glad we had this talk. I was like, okay. Like if, if he's meant to, like I could see it playing if he had like kind of gravitas, like he was like, you know, when your boss comes to you and is like, Hey, you kind of screwed this up. I'm glad we had this talk. Um, but like, it's not just a little screw up. Like she was trying to sabotage his entire company. And did yeah. sabotage his entire company. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, like, it's just, you can't have this. I don't know. Like, like, and, and, and this is one of those things where I'm talking about the shoe dropping. You know, it just seems like she's still around conveniently to mess things up. When there's no reason for her to be around. You know, like... And I guess, like, you know, they pay it off with the big, huge reveal with the living brain at the end here. But I don't know if you need Sajani there to do that. What did you think of the reveal? Well, of course, I mean, you know, spoilers, because, you know, we haven't already spoiled everything in this issue. But, I mean, you know, we see we see Otto in, in the face of the living, you know, kind of within the living brain. Because, you know, he's acting clingy with Anna Maria. And then we've been calling this, right? I mean, you certainly have. I think I've been like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if I... I mean, at like, first I said Peter would come back to the living brain. And I don't know if Dan Slott's been listening to me uh, or had, or it was just such an obvious choice all along that an idiot like me could call it. Um, but yeah, Otto is back to the living brain instead. And um, it makes sense, right? Like the living brain updated himself based on Otto's nanotech in the past. Right, but I gotta say I'm a little confused because um, at the end of Spider Verse, right, um, you had a moment where the Superior Spider-Man in his gauntlets with the Anna Maria AI, like set a hundred day timer for like the gauntlets to reactivate themselves or whatever, um, or that AI to reactivate itself. Right, and that a hundred days has passed. Right, we're eight months in the future. Right, right. So, like, to me, reading that, I thought, oh, this is how Doc Ock is going to come back. And now those gauntlets, maybe they'll show up again. I I hope they do because it's just a dangling plot thread. But, like, (laughs) in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, well, which is it? Like, is he coming back through the gauntlets or is he coming back through this living brain update? Yeah, I I don't know. Um, But... um... But we kind of, I, I mean, I even think when they announced the eight-month jump ahead that we figured Otto was going to be a part of this somehow. You know what I mean? Even regardless of the machinations behind it, right? Well, of course. And it'll be interesting to see how um, Anna Maria responds. It was kind of a nice little moment where she's like, you've been kind of clingy ever since you've updated, you know? Right, right. And, and Otto doesn't like, he looks like the evil Otto that you know, we we're used to. Um, and I wonder what that relationship will be like. Finally, we'll give Anna Maria something to do, um, whether or not she falls back in line with her former love or whether she like sees him as a villain. Now um, I'd be curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun time. <laughs> What else you want to touch on here, Dan? Well, I think we... that I mean that's the end of the book, except for all of these backup stories. Um, right. You were kind of uh, sh- uh, short in your speech about them in your review, so I'm curious what your overall thoughts were about these stories. I mean, 
I don't. I mean, I, I did like that they were kind of connected to each other one way or another. I mean, all the same. Like, and I and I kind of felt this when they did this for the first issue of Volume Three. I mean, like, it's really just kind of like restating what the status quo was going to be, which we've kind of already seen Marvel do in various ways. So, I mean, it's like, all right, here's some bang for your buck, but I, I don't know. Like, it's I really just an ad for those stories. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, we have the Regent, who's kind of like the 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 the, 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 the where all the dots connect. And I'm kind of like, oh, so that's what that's what's coming over from Renew Your Vows, the probably least interesting element of the story. <laughs> Yay! It's it's everything you didn't want, and nothing <laughs> because you didn't ask for it. Here's Regent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to say, like, I enjoyed a lot of the little stories, and uh, it, this kind of piqued my interest for Web Warriors more than I thought I yeah, would. I agree. Um, but Spider Woman, again, remains the standout. I thought this was such a wonderful little story. The art, of course, Javier Rodriguez knocking it out of the park. Right. But, like, it made me a lot more confident that this story is going to be really great and a lot less worried about the whole pregnant spider woman thing right. because the script acknowledges that it's probably not smart for her to be superheroing while right, pregnant. Right. And I, I think, I mean, like uh, we talked to Dennis hopeless and he, his wife had twins. Yeah. I think he's really going to bring a lot of really insightful, fun kernels to this story. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I probably say of all the books, the one that was least tantalizing was probably the twenty ninety nine stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Sliney's artwork continues to not really work for me, but also the idea of Spider Man twenty ninety nine kind of going over the edge and deciding he wants to retire, like a hero that doesn't really want to be heroing anymore, makes me go, I don't really want to read you heroing anymore. Yeah, I mean, and it's just, you know, like. It's it's unfortunate, but like, I think the time the the, the the proper time to tell that 2099 story, not this specific story, but a story with 2099, was last year, and they kind of like upended it halfway through to tie in Spider Verse and then uh, Future Imperfect, and you're just kind of like, I I I. I I, I like Spider-Man 2099, but I cannot feasibly say if I care about him at this moment. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Like, uh, like, 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 I feel like the iron is ice cold on this character now. And if, and, he's, and if he's working for Parker Industries now and not with Alchemax, then what is the thrust of his story? It used to be trying to curb the attitude of Ty Stone. Right. You know, um, so... And, yeah, we're just so far gone from that. I mean, it's it's like I said, you know, the iron was hot last year. They kind of struck and then they used the book to service other events. And I, I just, especially with hotter books like Silk and Spider-Gwen and Spider-Woman. And I mean, you know, like you said, even this Web Warriors book looked pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like it's and and and, and Miles in in the six one six. Um, I, I don't know where Miguel O'Hara fits in right now. Yeah, me neither. I don't know where I don't know where this book fits in. 
Um, it feels very, um, superficial to me. I wanted to ask you one last thing about this issue because I was unclear about it, but it seems pretty clear in the text is that once Regent, so he has this company called like the empire now, which apparently has taken over the, uh, the vault. Right. Um, which, I mean, who knows how the hell that happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, they bring in all these villains from the different stories, which I really liked, that it kind of made them those stories feel important in a way. Uh-huh. Um, but we get, like, the ox and the walrus, since they have superpowers, are taken away and put in those tanks that we saw in Renew Your Vows. Um, and they say, like, we don't need you to be alive. Did we witness the death of the ox here? I thought Ox was already dead. I get confused which one of the enforcers are alive or dead. It was Dan who fell to his death. Okay. Well, uh, well, the original Ox is dead. This is a new Ox. Yeah. But are we watching the death of the new Ox? Like, did you I get the sense that these people are dead? I think so, yeah. But then again, we also thought that Peter was dead in Renew Your Vows, and he wasn't. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand Regent's technology. I don't know if the writers do either. <laughs> All right, um, Mark. We've talked long enough about this. Do you want to get into our grades? Sure. I'm, I'm going to give this a B-. minus. And I'm right there with you. B-. Minus. Um, things yeah, you're looking th- up. Yeah. It's a, good, it's a good book. You should check it out. Um, let's see where this goes. You know? Like, I, I think there's some potential for brilliance here. I also think there's some potential for, like, a catastrophe. But... You know, in terms of a first issue, this just did a good job. Well, I was actually saying, um, talking online to people, is that this issue reminded me in a lot of ways of Volume 2's first issue, what with the alternate Spider-Man thing. But right. it also reminded me of the first issue of Volume 3, where we were both very positive about it. It was kind of a throwaway villain. It seemed like a fresh new status quo. And then that whole chapter kind of burned out. So, right. you know, I don't want to pin all of my hopes on this one issue. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't compare it to volume two, especially as the person who's like going back to it right now. Oh, I, I, I don't mean like, in terms of quality, but it was funny that there was like a, an alternate spot, like person being Spider-Man. In, right. In, in right. The issue, I see what yeah. you're saying. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, let's see. I mean, <laughs> someone did joke with me that they felt that, um, you know, reading my review felt like someone who was like getting back together with his girlfriend for like the fourth or fifth time. Like, you know, this kind of like, all right, we'll see. Uh, and and, and I'll, I'll readily admit, I, I, I'm definitely kind of cautious about what we're about to get into here. But there, there, you know, there could be something fun here. Maybe have a good time. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out in two weeks, I guess, when we go. the next one comes out. There we go. We're back to that schedule. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, this has been harrowing. Yeah. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying the interviews. (laughs) Lots of interviews. Lots of interviews. Anyway, uh, speaking of our community, let's get to our comments and emails. All right, everybody, now's the time of the day 
or the show or whatever you want to call it, where we read your comments on iTunes and also your emails to us. Uh, of course, uh, when you uh, subscribe, hopefully, to our show on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, you know, you first you search on us for uh, Amazing Spider Talk, but then uh, leave us a rating and uh, leave us some comments because that's how we grow as a community. Uh, and if you do want to email us something a little more uh, detailed about something you heard on the show or a question about uh, comics, Spider-Man, fandom, whatever, you can hit us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us uh, at either SubSpiderTalk or ChasingASMblog on Twitter with the hashtag OKToPrint. If you don't hashtag it, we'll never know. It could just be you know friendly banter between two people, right? Sure. But we got a question here from Matt Strott, who uh, is asking, uh, has there ever been a time during our collecting where uh, our faith in the book wavered and we thought of giving up? Um, You know, what are those issues or incidents if it's happened? Dan, I mean, I I, I have a pretty pronounced one, but what about you? You know, my first issue was 375 of the book, as I've said many times, and that was not too long before the start of the Clone Saga. Um, and so I started reading then and started reading all the older stuff. And then I, I, I couldn't keep up with um, affording the Clone Saga at, on my like $2 uh, like a, a month, or probably more than that, but I was buying trading cards at the same time, uh, allowance. Um, and so I just moved to other things and... and I don't think my collecting was as foref- in, much in the forefront of my mind then, but yeah, it kind of it kind of moved me away from the comics and into other realms of Marvel things. But I will say, I think if I wasn't a hardcore collector um, and I wasn't doing this show, I would probably have stopped reading during the past volume of the book. Yeah, I, I, that's that's pretty fair. <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely would have. I think, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, you know, the, the, the pronounced period for me was always, um, it was actually, it was the clone saga. It was specifically maximum clonage. And, you know, as, as I might've recalled either here or on, or on chasing amazing or even on superior spider talk. I mean, with what, what, what kind of killed it for me? I stopped, I stopped reading and collecting for a good period of time. Um, it was, it was kind of a mishmash of things. I mean, first of all, I mean, I was like, 15, 14, 15 when that story was coming out and just kind of like the relentlessness of it, like the fact that it was like this weekly saga. And I mean, you know, like I had to like get rides to the comic book store when I was that age, you know? So it was like going every single week, picking up the new issue and like, you know, which one would have like foil embossed whatever for an extra $3 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was just getting overwhelming and, when you when you tied that into me not necessarily liking what they were doing with the status quo, I was like, so wait, so are you basically negating everything I've been reading about this character for the last X years? You know what I mean? Like it 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 just became too much. And then you know, at that point, I was in you know late high school and college, and it just became even more difficult for me to kind of have the time and the resources to read and and get out to the store and all that. So it wasn't until I graduated college in like the early two thousands and Straczynski was, and and Romita were doing the book that I finally got back into it again. 
Um, because again, I, I, I had the time again, I had the money and the book was good. So, you know, what's not to love, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll say like, you know, when I was a kid, because I think, you know, and I present myself as a collector, it sounds like I've been like collecting and actively reading the book my entire life. And I have read through every issue many times, but as a kid, it wasn't really like, I, I know you were like the kind of collector as a kid that looked for every new issue. But I never had a sense of that. I used to just – there's a stream at the bottom of my block when I was a kid, and we used to play down there all the time. And um, we like – one day we were supposed to just be at the stream, but we we're uh, – my friends and I were like, let's see if we can go walk to the comic book store by walking through the stream because we thought that they were connected. And we ended up like running across farmland and like under a water tower and past a police – station in order to find this comic book shop. So it became this thing that my mother would think we were down at the stream playing when Uh we were really like running all the way across town through the woods um, to get to this comic book store. And then I would just buy like back issues or whatever looked like had a cool cover. Um, And it got to a point where like everything was the clone saga and I would open a Spider-Man comic and it wouldn't be Peter or it would be some crazy thing I didn't understand. And I was just like, I'm not really interested in this anymore. I'd rather spend my mother, my money in other ways. So it wasn't really that I was like unhappy with the story or keeping up with it actively. It was just like, well, this, this interest of mine is kind of fading. Um, and I'm going to go look at something else like you would do with anything like pogs or whatever. Right. Right. But then Ultimate probably coaxed you back into everything, right? Yeah, I would say it was definitely Ultimate Spider-Man that really re-sparked this renewal in me and made me like reassess my nostalgia for comic books in general. Um, Because I don't think I was reading comics all that actively until Ultimate. And then I was like, you know what, this is something I really love. And and it made me go back and... and, and start collecting again and my collection really started with ultimate and Straczynski's run I was like I'm just going to collect everything JMS did and you know how that is you finish one collection and you're like I gotta have the rest of it right right yeah yeah no I mean yeah no it's 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 funny you talking about like you know walking down by the stream and stuff I mean for me that was like the it was my local comic book shop was like two towns over um, like in a shopping center, uh, and it was actually like a baseball card store that happened to sell comics. And that's actually like kind of how I got turned on to comics was I would go to the store to buy, because I was originally into baseball cards and I would go there first and then like, kind of like got turned on into comics through like going through like the racks and the, and everything there. Um, but those trading cards are the gateway drug. They truly are. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I mean, and, and I would get back issues from there and then, you know, I would find other stores that were like more pronounced back issue vendors, you know, where I would get like Silver Age books and stuff like that. But yeah, I, it was just, and the guys who ran that store were great. I mean, I think I told the story on Chasing, like, um, I was so excited for Amazing Spider-Man 400 when it came out. Because I just was convinced that it was going to be even bigger than Amazing Spider-Man 300, which was, you know, this game-changing book for me in my life. That, like, I, I pre-ordered two copies. And um, the, the Tuesday night that the shipment came in, they called me. Because they're like, we're going to be open for, like, another 
hour if you want to come and get the book a day early. Oh, man. Because they knew how excited I was for it. And they were even like, there's a tombstone on the cover. And I'm like, ooh. Little did you know it would be one of the worst covers ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very true. Um, <laughs> so much so that even Bagley and JMS are like, a JMD were like, this is terrible when they were signing it for us at Connecticut yeah. uh, Comic-Con. Um, but anyway, I, I just say like that, that's, it's just, but like I would sometimes walk there with a friend on like Saturdays, but like it was like a three and a half mile walk. So that wasn't a weekly thing, you know? And when the book became like, you needed to read the whole thing to get the full story. It was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I'm I- out. I had no idea of, like, Wednesdays being comic book day as a kid. I was just like, oh, we're playing outside? Is this an excuse I can have to walk across town and go look at comic books? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's our stories. Woo! Um, let's, you- let's talk about some spider news, Mark. Sure. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches feet just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Well, um, Dan, I guess the big thing that's actually not related to a spider book, but is certainly related to the Spider-Man universe, is uh, who was announced as being a key part of the supporting cast in uh, Bendis's, Brian Michael Bendis's Invincible Iron Man. Do you want to... Uh, Tell us your thoughts on this uh, this jackpot winning edition. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've, many of you have seen by now, but Mary Jane is going to be joining the cast of Iron Man um, in issue number four, and um, it seems as though they're positioning her as a love interest for Tony Stark, um, at least based on how they're kind of teasing it. Um, I mean, I, I think that's probably to be expected. Um, and those of you who read Invincible Iron Man number one, you know, there's a scene with Tony on a date. So we're kind of getting this dating Tony. Um, <laughs> and uh, very reminiscent of Peter Parker. And, and, and I think, you know, I wouldn't be the first person to say that it seems as though the world of Tony Stark and Peter Parker have switched <laughs> uh, and that Tony Tony is now Marvel's announced their new like uh, uh, figurehead of the company, and he's low on his money, and he's apparently going to be maybe dating Mary Jane. Sounds a little familiar. Um, Mark, you want to add more check to that column? Yeah, another check. I mean, you know, um, although this is at least not in the actual Spider-Man book where this is happening, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And we've got the cover to the issue. Looks like Amazing Spider-Man 42's famous Mary Jane reveal. Yeah. I mean, I just hope that... I mean, and I trust Bendis, but I mean, I really hope this doesn't become, like, something that is regrettable in terms of characterization for Mary Jane. That's all. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time a character has gone into another character's book. That's the whole point of the Marvel Universe, is that everybody shares characters, We've rarely seen Mary Jane do it, um, especially in the way that it seems to be positioned here as a major cast player. But I thought the more interesting thing about this story was that Bendis said he didn't intend on having her be a part of the book, 
But when he asked about her and found that no one had any plans for her, he decided to take her. And to me, that's kind of damning on... Uh, and I don't want to mean to like damn Dan Slott, but it seems kind of damning considering that, you know, they stoked fans' desires for Mary Jane in Renew Your Vows only to have no plans for her in Spider-Man books afterwards. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just seems... I mean, we were talking about how they brought Regent in. It seems like a, like a fundamental misread of what people want. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the eyes of the Spider-Office, I mean... MJ's kind of kiss off to Peter in Superior 31 was it. And that's that's upsetting. We need something more than that. Yeah, I mean I think I would feel less passionately about like how bizarre I think that statement is um if they didn't cover every renew your vows variant with them in wedding attire and really play up like how great it is that Peter and Mary Jane were married at some point. Right. It just seems like a weird timing to be like, we have no plans for her and now she's going to be with Tony Stark. Um, but I do look forward to it. Like I love how Bendis writes Mary Jane. Um, yeah. Well, certainly in ultimate. Yeah. So. so I'll be interested to see what he does, what he does with her here. At least someone's using her. Yes. Uh, and then the other big announcement, straight from New York Comic Con, which is going on as we're talking at the moment, Dan, uh, is there, there's going to be a big event connecting the three uh, female spider books uh, next year. Uh, it's it's going to be called Spider Women. I don't know if involve- big event is the word I would use for it. It's an event. I think it's a it's a moderately sized. Ev- it's an event within the books. Which, sure, sure. You know, I, I like. I I think I I actually liken this to the what is it the minimum carnage arc that they did in Scarlet Spider and Venom a few years back. Yeah, exactly. Um, where we're gonna have some a interconnecting story between Spider Gwen, Spider Woman, and Silk, and then we're also gonna have it kind of bookended by these standalone like Alpha and Omega issues. So. Um, and like the, the the original creators, you know, for the, each book is is going to be working on that. Um, so Although we like, don't know who's doing the alpha or omega issues. Yeah, I mean, it could be any combination of people. I bet. You know, maybe they'll have, you know, one of them do one and one of them do the other or something like that. But um, you know, and, and what's what's what seems to be the plot on this one, Dan? It seems to be that uh, Spider-Woman and Silk somehow get transported to Earth-65, which is Spider-Gwen's universe. Um, You know, because Secret Wars made everything far less confusing. Um, (laughs) And and there is a Silk and Spider-Woman apparently in Spider-Gwen's universe, so she's not so alone in terms of being a spider-related character. but they are going to be switching, so they're coming to the normal universe, which I am hesitant to say that it's a 616, um, because I think Marvel's trying to distance themselves from that numbering conceit. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, but apparently they're not going to be so, like, such uh, good guys. They're going to be causing trouble in the regular Marvel universe. So um, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think all yeah. these female-led books have been routinely excellent. Yeah, I mean they're they're, they're probably the three best books of the of of the of the office right now. I would say absolutely, and you know it, it doesn't hurt that they're all female-led books, which. You know, Marvel is making a real push in this direction, and I think it's been rewarding them not only critically but financially as well. Yeah, definitely. And it just also shows their faith in the characters in terms of that they would put this event together because it's, it's for like next spring, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah. Early 2016 is what they're saying. Okay. So I imagine after the first arc of each book concludes, they'll probably go into this thing. Right. So I'm down. Let's have some fun with that. Yeah, I'm excited. I love all of those books. And, uh, and you know, we don't get an, a ton of crossovers these days. Yeah. Well, you know, unless it's like Spider-Verse, but, you know. Yeah, or like some big world-ending, maybe quite literally in Secret Wars case, um, event. And uh, smaller crossovers can be a lot, a lot of fun. Oftentimes, I think they're more fun. Yes. Well, Dan... We've been talking on this almost as lo- on this episode almost as long as I ran my half marathon yesterday. So why don't we <laughs> why don't we get into the home stretch here? Yeah, of course, you guys. This might be our first episode of this new volume, but you can find all of our old episodes of Amazing Spider Talk. We're eighty eight episodes now, um, and uh, and our old Superior Spider Talk podcast. You can find all of them, of course, at superiorspidertalk.com. Or on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. Yes, yeah, so that means in about three months' time, Dan, we got to start planning a special episode, don't we? I've got some really awesome ideas, so uh, you guys keep, uh, keep in touch with us. Yeah, exactly three months from now, we'll be doing 100. Can you believe it, Mark? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, was, that too, was that too blunt? Uh, no, no, no. I, it's what I expect from you. <laughs> Well, then, also be sure to check out our Facebook pages uh, at facebook.com slash superiorspiretalk and facebook.com slash chasingamazing because those are really great places uh, to join our community and chat with us and read about our writing and news and all that other fun stuff. And, of course, if you want to follow the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, we're getting a new episode of The Ultimate Spin soon next week. So check that out. It's hosted by Brian Kyle and Noor, the international cast of Chummy Buddies, talking about our two favorite side characters. Chummy Buddies. I like that. Yeah, um, that, that should be the subtitle for it. Join our Chummy Buddies. There we go. Oh, God. Um, yes. And then, as always, uh, we want to thank uh, the, the great musicians that contribute music to our show, like our theme song, which is courtesy of Ryland Bojack, and our outro song, which comes from Magic. And a special thanks for all the wonderful artists that help make the show possible. That's Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema. Next week, we've got um, an awesome interview for you guys. I know you're really jazzed at the interviews, but I think you're going to really like this one. We're interviewing amazing Spider-Man writer Christos Gage, who actually wrote a backup story in this issue. So uh, be sure to tune in for that awesome show on Friday. Sounds good, Dan. Where can we find you on the Internet? Of course, you can find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or on Twitter at, at @DanGavazdan or my Spider-Man account at SupSpiderTalk. How about you, Mark? Yeah, well, you can find me on superiorspidertalk.com where I am continuing with the Volume 2 review, which is me looking back at the Mackie Burn run and some of the other connected issues. We've already got through the first two arcs, and uh, there'll be more to come in the coming weeks, I promise. I'm not going to 
flake out on you. We're also going to be wrapping up Clone Saga Chronicles this month. Although I'm, I'm, I'm getting increasingly guilty about that, Dan. So we'll see how much I truly gave in. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll do some of the Spider-Man books. Spider-Ben. We'll Spider-Ben. I, I know. I definitely need to do The Lost Years. So that's, that'll probably come, be coming up soon, too, at some point. Let's um, end this ne- on a positive note and talk about The Lost Years. Yeah, well, Lost Years was very good. I, I know. I, yeah. Um, and I actually like the last arc of the original Clone Saga, too, which is the, the power and responsibility, I think it's called. Okay. Um, but um, we'll get to that later this month. I look forward to reading it. Yeah, and then also Twitter, Chasing ASM blog. Hit me up there. Uh, I always, um, you know, again, if I'm talking uh, Mets baseball, a little too much for you these days. I apologize. Just just bear with it until they're inevitably screwed out of the playoffs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mark, uh, when I was reading this issue of Amazing Spider-Man, I couldn't help but think about uh, my time in driving school. You know, what with Peter learning how to drive and everything. But uh, when I was in driving school, my instructor fell asleep during my driving time with him, which left me to drive aimlessly through the dangerous streets of Baltimore. I'll never forget it. Uh, It was pretty terrifying, uh, but not quite as terrifying as I've heard your driving school was. I I heard a rumor that it was your Uncle Ben that taught you to drive. Well, okay. I mean, I'm about to tell a story that is 100% true, mostly. Um, so, um, I, I had a, I originally enrolled in a driving school at like a private, uh, Catholic school, uh, when I was growing up, even though I did not attend that school. Um, it was like through church that I, I signed up for it or something. And, um, and they, they gave me these lessons and they were fine and everything. And like the whole purpose of signing up for this class was you were supposed to be guaranteed a road test. Um, you know, through like on like the, their car and everything, which like they kind of like, you know, so you were used to driving the car that you were going to take the test on. And, um, so we, we, we do all this and we, we pay a lot of money to do this class. We being my family and I, and, um, when it gets time to assign the road test, they initially tried to, they, they didn't assign me a road test. And, um, you know, my uncle Ben was pretty pissed about it, so he he called them up and um, lightly complained and asked for uh, a refund if uh, they they weren't going to give me a road test. So they're like, "Fine, fine, fine, we're going to give you a road test." So they, I, I get to the site of the of, of the road test that day, and I get in the car, and the first thing the the instructor says to me is he starts uh, badgering me about not having my corrective lenses on. I had switched over to contact lenses at that point, but I guess my license photo had glasses on it. Um, so after dealing with that, um, I I slowed at a yellow light, and the 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 instructor threatened to end the test right there for putting him his life in peril for slowing to a yellow light. Um, and then had me parallel park next to a large, uh, commercial van, which I was not able to do because I had never parked next to that before. So the guy basically said, you know, you're failed. And then, uh, as I was leaving the, the person who had the course was like, and you're not getting your money back. <laughs> so I basically got jobs by these people. Wow. So my uncle Penn was just like really upset about this. And I got to somehow make this funny now. Uh, cause this is mostly true. <laughs> uh, 
So Uncle Ben taught me how to drive um, after that. And he was like, we're going we're to make up for this because, you know, these people did not use their power responsibly. Um, so he took me out uh, on drives and um, it was great until Doc Ock showed up one day and just started ripping up the street and, and Uncle Ben died. Um, but I Jeez. got my license. I got my license, Dad. <laughs> um, Every you know, story because, has a happy ending. Because Uncle Ben showed his faith in me. And, and, you know, him showing his faith in me, uh, you know, I actually got my license because um, I, I was able to swerve around Doc Ock. Uncle Ben had a heart attack in the car. That's why he died. Um, but, but I'm, glad I, you're, I'm glad you're filling in the blanks in the story. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just trying to help here. Um, and as, as, as Uncle Ben went into cardiac arrest and I was like kind of speeding down the roadway in, in, in Long Island... Um, he did remind me that with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Amazing spider talk.